0: Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Created for those committed to mastery and success. Coming to you from Manly, Australia, we break down the science and
1: philosophy of optimal performance so you can unleash your potential. The quality of your life is a function of the quality of your days, so let's make them count. That's a quote by Phil Drillet, the guy that I'm interviewing in the Flow State Performance podcast today. I'm Jira Taylor, your host, and this is episode number 24. We're going to cover a lot of interesting things from why meditation is sexy and powerful, why you create your best work when you're in a state of flow, the power of morning routines and the power of evening rituals, and how we can make maximum impact on the world. Enjoy the show, guys. Mm-hmm. Hey, Phil. How are you going today? I am doing awesome. How about you, man? I'm good, man. Well, welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. It's been one of my goals to get you on. Um, yeah, I guess I've known you for, 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 for a year, a year and a half or so. Um, you were really impactful in my life. I was uh, receiving some coaching from you um, at a particular point in my life, uh, just pre- I guess just at the beginning of the flow state journey for me and uh, it was really impactful stuff and I've kept a track of your journey, Uh, talk to me a little bit about what's been inspiring you lately. Well, a
0: lot of things. Um, Well, perhaps the biggest thing in the last year has been really this interplay between masculine and feminine energies and um, learning. I grew up very masculine. I was an athlete. I've always been an overachiever. I can get things done, no problem. And... There's this whole other side of the, the balance, which is the feminine energy, learning to flow, learning to you know, feel our emotions, learning to be flexible and to go with things. And I, I started to recognize the higher states of performance come from integration of those two energies. So I've been on this crazy journey to, um, to master that.
1: Oh, that's so funny you say that. It's uh, so many parallels. Um, with with where I've been at man it's like I was and we were just talking about uh, about this so we might as well talk about it on the show but uh, the plant medicine journeys that both of us have been um, experiencing lately and uh, for me often when I partake in ceremony that Ma- that raw masculine feminine energy, the fact that once we remove all the conditioning that we have we 're still left with that masculine and feminine energy, and it really, like you said before, peak performance is really about embodying the, bo- the both of them. but it, it's, talk to me more about that because it's kind of not fam- a familiar concept in our dominant culture, is it?
0: Mm. Yeah, which is why it took me so long to come around to it so I think the masculine is easy to explain. And, and, you know, masculine is about action, is about focus, is about discipline. Is, it has a certain rigidity to it. It's like I'm at point A, I want to be point B, I'm going to deconstruct and get there. Like Tim Ferriss' stuff has a lot of masculine energy to it. You know, we love it, it's great. Now, if we operate too much from this place, it's, there's a lot of control involved, there's a lot of um, making things happen, and it can be exhausting. So we swing back to the other side and the feminine is a lot more you know, free-flowing energy. It's a lot more expensive. It's a lot more about surrender. And for me, what I've realized um, last Wednesday in the ceremony that I did is that I've always been a very sensitive person. And early on in life, I was taught through society and sports and different things that as a boy and as a young man, I shouldn't be overly sensitive. I shouldn't talk about my feelings. I shouldn't cry. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do that. So for years and years, I repressed so many of my emotions and now i've just come to realize that actually my sensitivity combined with my power is my greatest gift to the world and now there's all this repressed emotion from years and years that now needs to come through needs to be felt and experienced so it can be released so that's what i'm up to these days and it's it's a it's a wild ride
1: (laughs) wow man i can uh yeah that resonates with me oh man on this ceremony that we had we had a We had a few guys who were probably crying for the first time in 10, 15, 20 years. Um, That was sort of one of the effects of of the medicine. And you know, seeing these guys before they came and seeing these guys when they left, different people, completely Mm -hmm. different people, like walking more upright, just literally like lots and lots of weight had been taken off the shoulders because of all the repression we have, hey? Oh, and, and you don't even know what's happening
0: until you realize and it's just like we wait we we have this like emotional weight just holding us down and then you start to open that up and it's just like the amount of, you know if you're men listening to this and this is kind of like you can feel in your soul somewhere that there's some truth to that, whatever level of energy you have right now, there's probably five to ten times more energy that's accessible because right now there's it's like you have this hot air balloon. You can make it go up by by pumping more hot air into it, or you can cut down the the bags of lead and all the weight that's holding it down. And the emotional work to me is cutting down the lead. So you don't need any more air, but it's going to go all the way up.
1: Cool. So it's it's a whole different
0: approach to personal development.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that visual. Getting high. Um, That's nice. (laughs) So, so bro, tell me uh, or tell the listeners a little bit about how you got. to where you are now. So I know that you're a French-Canadian, so you grew up um, over in Canada. Um, and now you're what? Third, how old are you now? Just 29. 29, um, living in California, um, peak performance coach. Give us a little bit of a uh, backstory about your journey.
0: Sure. Um, well, there's different chapters. The first one was swimming. So I grew up, I was in love with swimming and I was in love with understanding how we could become faster swimmers, I taught myself English by reading magazines when I was 11 years old and I'd go up to my coach and be like, "Coach, we're get to change a training program. Check out what the Hungarian national team is doing right now." I <laughs> thought it was totally normal for an 11 year old to do that. Um, I found out later that it wasn't. So got on the national team, moved to Vancouver, um, trained with them for a couple of years. Then at 20, I was over it. Um, and training with the national team was very serious, and it, it kind of took out the fun for me. So then, for a couple of years, I was just a normal guy, um, just just you know, <laughs> going to school, partying. Then I started playing beer pong. Uh, my best friend and I became the best beer pong team in Canada. We competed internationally <laughs> in beer pong, true story. Um, and then I, then I was working, just corporate job. wasn't into it. And a big change happened when I decided to go to Australia actually to go do my my master's degree. And when I was there, I had a year and a half to kind of like figure out my life and I listened to Mr. Tony Robbins and there was this moment when I realized that growing up, my passion wasn't actually swimming, it was actualizing human potential. And that swimming was just the way I was doing that but like it just blew my mind that like, wait, we can do that with everything, like <laughs> spiritually, relationally, financially, just you know, how much joy we experience. So that changed everything and that's when I started my blog, The Feel Good Lifestyle, started to write different um, articles, different stories, and then eventually um, came out, came back to America, turned it into a business, and now, you know, fast forward, I've been doing this for four years, and um, pretty much everything I was envisioning when I started this journey has come true, including the ocean view that I'm looking at when I look over my laptop right now, the people <laughs> I'm surrounded with, the people I work with, it's, it's amazing.
1: Nice, man. Nice. So, uh, that's an epic journey, bro. So, talk to me about what uh, a bit more about that actualizing uh, human potential. So, what does peak performance mean to you? Mm, good question.
0: Hmm. I guess what comes up right now. So, Tony Robbins says there's um, two master skills we must develop. The first one is the science of achievement. You know, reaching your goals, accomplishing what you want. And the second one is the art of fulfillment. How much joy do you experience? And for me, from day one, it's been about both and I've always had a huge Buddhist influence. There's a, you can see the Buddha there um, <laughs> if you're looking at the screen. Yeah. And, um, but I've always been an overachiever. So it's like on the one hand, I want to do extraordinary things. I want to, to have a huge impact on the world. I want to have a life well-lived in terms of what I've done. But I want each step of the journey to be savored, to be enjoyed, to be appreciated and to me, peak performance is being able to do both of those things, like kick ass and have an amazing time doing it and help others while you're doing it.
1: The yin and the yang. Yin and the yang, that's right. Nice, man. Nice. That's awesome. It's a it's a good blend. And what, what I observe out there is kind of like a, you know, in our dominant culture, there's a the very yang energy, as you and I have both discussed, and um, a lot of the people out there are you know, when they think about peak performance or even when they think about their dreams and their goals in life, they think of it very much in that kind of yang, I've got to achieve this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. And, but what about, and they kind of forget about that fulfillment side of things, like, but what actually makes you happy? Who actually are you? Um, and that level of base level awareness to know about those softer sort of things um, is not often there, is it? So it seems to me like you've done a lot of the work when it comes to that level of awareness. You mentioned Buddhism. I'm sure you've had a meditation practice or have a meditation practice. Um, how, talk to me about how you've developed that kind of awareness. Mm.
0: Well, I think on some level it's always been there. Like for me, this value of like living life to the fullest has always been like, <laughs> like I have this day ahead of me. Like let's make it epic because once you break it down, like life. The quality of your life is a function of the quality of your days. So today is my life. So let's make it count. Like let's do something cool. Let's. I want to go to bed tonight tired and satisfied. And uh-huh. tomorrow when I'm going to wake up. I mean the same thing. Yeah. So um, then the other thing that happened, and, and I did an exercise one time in my life that changed everything for me. Um, my friend shared that with me. His name is uh, Dan Adams. He got me to look back at the five times in my life where I've been the most successful and the five times where I've been the least successful. So five phases where I just reached my goals and five times when shit did not work. And then he said, write a little bit about what state you were in, kind of what was going on in your life as you were in each of those phases and look for patterns. And for me, it was so clear that the five successes came from times when I was having fun, I was enjoying myself, like I was loving life and working towards my goals The five times when it didn't work was when I was stressed out. I was working hard but I was like working for some future outcome while sacrificing in the short term and not enjoying the journey. And it was so clear. I was like, oh my god. I perform well when I'm having fun. When I'm light, when I'm in this like high vibration, things work. And when I'm stressed out and too tight, it doesn't. So, okay, well, let's have fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Simple life philosophy, man. love it. Just have yeah. more fun. Yeah, my, my buddy Bodhi's, uh his mantra in life is just do what makes you come alive. And, and I it. like that, man. I like that. It's, uh, we all know, we've all had those instances in our life where we have felt like plugged in or, or just like so vibrant and so alive and so full of energy. Then why don't we simply just design our life so that we have heaps and heaps of those <laughs> Exactly.
0: you start to realize, you know, there's two main forms of happiness. There's um, hedonistic happiness, which is like sipping a drink by the pool with your buddies or, you know, with the girls, whatever. Um, That's just like pleasure. And then there's hudaimonia, which is fulfillment, which is like going for a good workout, playing a soccer game, working on a project that excites you. And it's always to balance out both. Like most of my joy is derived from human I work on things that I'm passionate about. I, I work with people that are inspiring but I make sure to have some hedonism in there. And, you know, over the weekend, I went, Friday night, I hung out with this amazing woman. We went to the beach, had some good food, had some good times. Saturday night, went to a, a DJ party, just danced, you know, my ass up for six hours. Yeah. Sunday, went for a nice long, long breakfast, met uh, a woman there, talked for her for three hours and then I drove back to, to San Diego and it was just like, I wasn't trying to change the world. I wasn't trying to, you know, expand my country. I just wanted to have a good time. But I got back morning in the morning and I'm like, "All right, let's go build things, let's have impact." So I see a lot of overachievers forget to just have fun, like the the, the hedonistic, like let's go surfing, let's let's, mm, you know, have yeah. a barbecue, whatever. <laughs> let's
1: love it. Yeah, 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 that's a really cool distinction there. And uh What's that word that you referenced? That's a that's a Greek word, right? Yeah, Euda, eudaimonia. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Just define it for me again. It's 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 like a happiness uh, that revolves around fulfillment.
0: Yeah, towards like striving towards something, you know, yes. working on a project. It, there's a challenge inherent to it, but it's a challenge that makes you feel good about yourself
1: yeah interesting yeah i 've heard that word referenced in terms of flow states actually like uh, mm. people saying were when the, when the Greek um, philosophers came up with this word were they talking about flow or do do the Greeks have a concept of flow states in their culture and often this word comes up, uh, mm. which is interesting because when we think about flow in our culture sometimes it 's a very binary type of thing, like like this whole hacking flow. I'm gonna hack flow, I'm gonna hack this state where I do stuff really well. But for me, that's kind of, it's not the way I look at it. I look at it as what feels purposeful and natural and what emerges from me um, when my life is in alignment. And that's much more in line with the Greek uh, that eudaimonia type of fulfillment and stuff, which is which is great. What what are your thoughts around flow states? Is it something that you've studied? Do you have an interest in that sort of stuff?
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, if I can master that, everything else uh, kind of falls in line. Um, so you mentioned meditation, you know, earlier. For me, meditation has been a, a gigantic part of my path, and it continues to be. I've ramped up my practice to. 15 minutes in the morning, 25 in the afternoon and um, just recognizing that I create my best work when I'm I'm in this state of flow and and I enjoy my work the most, right? Nothing groundbreaking there but we live in a day and age where we have more information about flow state and we have more distractions as well. Like it's it's so easy. So for me early on, I, I trained myself and I was blessed coming up as a swimmer. Because I trained a lot, because I had school, I didn't have a lot of extra time. So even when I was like 13 years old, when I like started high school and I was training a lot, I had to just come home, eat my food, do my homework. When I was training, I just wanted to focus. So it's something I've been cultivated for years. Um, but once you start to recognize that meditation is, has been shown by Stanford uh, researchers to be the number one way to build willpower, to build focus – then for me, I really see my meditation as like training for my mind. Yeah. And it's like I go to the gym for my body. Well, I don't actually, but I go run outside. <laughs> and my meditation is I take it seriously so that when I'm at my computer, when I'm talking to you, it's just like boom. Just I'm yeah. here. This is all that is in my awareness right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's cool, man. And that's the sort of message that that I try and convey as well about about meditation, because I really believe that. For more people to benefit from this, we've got to create a different vocabulary around meditation. Like, yes. not everybody is going to tune into the whole idea of uh, vibrations and chakras and connecting <laughs> with the divine and all that kind of stuff. Um, but people will connect with increased willpower, increased discipline, training like an integral part of my training regime to be a high performing human, which really is what it is for you. It is, it's, it's the same for me. Um, do you find that that concept is getting more accepted?
0: Certainly, certainly. And I think there's still a piece missing. I was actually talking about this with someone yesterday. I think yoga, yoga is this ancient art from India and it's actually very, it's inherently it's not sexy. Like if you actually study at the roots of yoga, it's not something that's sexy, but we made it sexy. Uh, you know, it's like, it's cool. It's trendy to do yoga. All the girls are into it. The guys are into it. You know, mostly partly because the girls are into it. And meditation hasn't quite reached that point where it's like sexy. It's like, I know it's good for me, and you know, it's kinda like like I'm gonna go for a run, it's good for me. And I feel like it's part of my mission to make meditation sexy. Like it is sexy to be with <laughs> someone, to be so present that you just lose yourself in each other. It's mm. sexy to be able to sit down at your computer and hammer out two hours, you know, the amount amount of work that would take two hours, you do it in half an hour because you're just like in the zone. It's sexy to be able to control your mind and focus on the positive and to not spiral downwards into negative cycles. That's sexy to me. So mm-hmm. I want to create that message for the world and for people to be like, yeah, of course I meditate. Like, why the heck would I not? Are you crazy?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> to me, it just seems like the most fundamental uh, tool or piece of technology that we could possibly install in our life. It's like, it's like, it's like we get one of these things. Um, and. <laughs> If meditation is an app, it's like the first thing that I download, you know, yeah. it's the first thing because I know that it's going to make everything else run, run more smoothly. Relationships, uh, when I go surfing, when I'm trying to like, uh, like build a business strategy, just everything, everything will flow more. Just
0: every moment that you're by yourself, yeah, you're just in between things and you're just with your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have a healthy relationship with your mind? Like is your mind your friend or is your mind your worst enemy? But most people, their mind is their worst enemy. I'm pretty good buddies with my mind because we hang out every morning for thirty to sixty minutes, and I'm building that relationship and <laughs> I've got to tame them. And I'm still continuing; it's this work in progress, but it's a lot better. And you know, we are the only person we're going to spend the rest of our life with, so let's kind of work on that.
1: <laughs> okay, that's that's a really cool way to look at it. So, talk to me about the relationship with your mind. So, is it is it one that has shifted? Over years, like a lot of people that are listening to this, or a lot of people that have tried meditation, are simply probably put off by just hanging out with that negative voice of self judgment the whole time over and over again. And so they go and seek distraction somewhere else. Now, what about, I mean? That's you know, I still get I've been meditating on and off for 15, 17 years. I still get self judgment, I still get stuck. Like sometimes my mind just pisses me off. Um, <laughs> how, how has your relationship with your mind evolved? <laughs> it's it's good it's not always good like and
0: and i want to i think that's important to point out Is like my meditation sometimes i still have sessions where my mind is out of control i still have days where i'm like wow like i've been meditating all this time and still this shit goes on in my mind like wow mm. um so i think it's important to point out that like that's also part of the human experience and that you know maybe i'm going to transcend eventually and for now it's not perfect now that being said um I think it's important. What, what happens, and I, I'd imagine it's the same for you, is that we will have these negative patterns flare up. So let's say self-judgment or yeah. let's say no, I'm not good enough. Some variation of that, which is very common for a lot of people. So I start to think I'm not good enough. Because of meditation, what I've learned to do is recognize that this per- pattern is starting to like, kind of uh, come up and to be actually, you know what, I'm not going to go there today. Mm. Take a breath and reorient my mind in a different direction. And then instead of spiraling to, I'm not good enough, my life's never gonna work, no one's gonna love me, and just kind of like go into this funk, it's like Wayne Dyer says, it's like never let a full, a negative thought fully form itself in your consciousness. So it starts to open up and I start to
1: feel a little bit like self conscious and I'm like, no. And I turn in <laughs> a different direction and then yeah. it's fine. <laughs> See, that is, that to me is like Jedi mind skills. If you can mm. like intercept a negative thought before it's fully developed, that yes. is just that's just Jedi level of, of mind skills, and that's and that's really gonna um, improve your quality of life. Because the alternative to that is that you get a you get a negative thought come into your mind, and it germinates and it lays down roots and it starts to fester yes. and it grows yep. and it grows and it escalates into something absolutely monumental. And it might have started with like you like the most minor thing, a recollection of an ex girlfriend yeah like, exactly
0: someone they don't respond and then you make up a story about that and then it like and you have a shitty day because this person like forgot to respond it's not they don't like you it's like nothing Got <laughs> like, busy and then yeah. you think that like no one in the world
1: yeah. loves you. oh yeah. my god <laughs> so that is what meditation can do everyone that's listening it can give you that jedi ability to to see the thought as something that is separate from yourself and to therefore make a conscious decision to intercept it to transform it to turn it into something else which is uh really an awesome skill to have. So Phil, I know that you've made, you have an interest obviously in peak performers um, and I know that you've studied a lot of successful people um, and you probably move in circles where there are lots of successful people as you are a successful person. What have, what have you noticed about, have you noticed trends that, that kind of unify successful people in different fields? was mm.
0: a good question. Uh, yes, the, the short answer is definitely. Um, what those are? Hmm. Well, this is like so. This has been said a million times, and it's worth repeating. It's like people that aspire to, to to extraordinary things and who want to have a high level of performance, they surround themselves with other people like that. You know, like and that old Jim Rohn thing of you are the average of five people you spend the most time with. It's it's true in a lot of ways. So, I think being very selective of who we decide to spend our time with, and if you have old friends that you grew up with that don't fit this mold, doesn't mean like you know delete them from your phone and never talk to them again. It's just I'm going to allocate more of my time to people who inspire me, who who educate me, who align me, and less with people that is just like idle chatter. The other thing that I've noticed recently is the people that I see that are hyper successful they have a lower tolerance for bullshit than just about anyone. If something in their life and something inside of them and something in their business is not working, as soon as there's a little disturbance in the force, they do something about it. And they don't put up with shit. Like a lot of people are like, oh, it's not that bad. You know, it's could be worse. No, screw that. <laughs> this is not how I want it to be. Like, let's do something about it. And um, specifically with that, I think very successful people pick up the phone and call. If there's a problem, don't freaking text or email or like just call the person, handle your business, um, have that uncomfortable conversation. I call it the five-minute sweaty pump conversation. Just what do you need to talk about? Say it. It's going to be uncomfortable but five, ten minutes later, you're like, whew, well, I'm glad we talked about it and now you move on. Mm-hmm. So don't mm-hmm. – reduce your tolerance for bullshit and, and you just have less – Mm. more shit in your life.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that, man. That's great. What about your personal rituals? I know that you've, you've you put up a, a high value on rituals. Yeah. Um, can you reveal anything about your morning ritual, your evening ritual? <laughs> or is this under wraps?
0: Uh, no, it's, I'm definitely happy to share it. Um, yeah, so for me, early on, I recognized that the way we start our days, and I'm sure you've talked about this with other guests on the show, Um, the way we start our day sets the tone for the rest of the day. And the way I like to look at it is that each decision we make in a day is either a plus one, something that's good for me, or minus one, which is kind of like what my small self, my lower self would do. So I start the day, I can either wake up or snooze. You know, wake up with a smile or snooze, plus one or minus one. And to me, my intention is to finish my morning ritual at like plus 15. Because if I'm, it's like 8 a.m. or whatever, and I'm at plus 15, then every subsequent decision I make, I'm in this like positive momentum. I'm much more likely to make another plus one decision and finish at like plus 100. If you finish your debt plus 100, you probably had an awesome day. So specifically what I do now, um, wake up without an alarm, immediately take a nice deep breath and say thank you, thank you, thank you. Like just yes, this is awesome. Most people start their day by saying, oh, no. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how I feel. doesn't mean I always feel like – on top of the world but I just make myself feel good through, you know, deciding. Then I go drink a big glass of water with lemon, kind of flush out my system, sit down, meditate for 50 minutes, get up, go run for 10 minutes and when I'm running I I do three things. The first one is feeling God's presence, like as I look around just feeling the the divine flow through me. The second is gratitude and the third one is envisioning my day, visualizing everything I have to do today, like how I'm going to do it, how it's going to go well come home, do uh, 10 minutes of yoga, go inside, take a cold shower, and then uh, you know start with my work day or whatever I have on deck. And I do this every morning and I've just decided on Sundays now I don't have to do it and I don't feel like it. I've decided to give myself a little bit more leeway, a little bit more feminine energy, um, yeah. but six days a week for sure.
1: Nice, man. Nice. And Do you have a specific evening ritual? Yeah. Um, and I think – I'm glad you asked that because I think the, the morning ritual, most
0: people are starting to kind of catch on to them and, and the, the night ritual is a little bit more underrated but it's it's very important because you want to mm-hmm. sleep well. So 45 minutes I go to bed. Before I go to bed, shut down all electronics. Um, well, actually, that's not true. Don't look at screens but – so for me, I want to go to bed at 11.30. Um, so 10.45, i going to close a the computer. Then I'll do my dishes while listening to some sort of podcast. But generally something very mild, like very spiritual, like generally like Buddhist stuff, not like Tim Ferris, because that would get me too much in my mind. So I'm doing the dishes for the day. I'm listening to Tower Brock or some like meditation teacher. Then um, I go take a shower, warm shower at night and I always think about three amazing things that happened today. Like what were three wins from the day? Yeah. So I'm like in the shower, like big smile in my face like, oh, that was awesome. That was great. Oh, I'm so glad I did this. Yeah come back to my bed, uh, read fiction for about 15 minutes, just clear my mind. Then I pray for a couple of minutes. I do a little bit more gratitude and then lights out, sleep like a baby for eight hours and do it all over again.
1: Nice, man. Nice. Have you ever um, experimented with, with dream states or lucid dreaming, anything like that? It's a bit of a you know unreached frontier
0: for me. For yeah. for about a couple of months, I was recording my dreams in the morning. Like I would love to lucid dream. Like yeah. if I could just acquire this skill, you know, like matrix style, like plug in the yeah. in the back of my mind, I would love to. Um, yeah. But it's not something I've developed, and I've been on enough. So yeah. is that something you've uh, you've played around with a lot?
1: I, I'm the same as you, man. It's an untapped frontier. But I did have um, a few experiences, like when I came back from my last ayahuasca experience. Uh, the, the, the next three nights, um, I had amazing dreams. Um, I don't know how I would classify them in terms of lucid and not lucid, but I had like, they were extremely lucid and real and, and, and actually something interesting happened in in all three of those dreams. I dreamed about specific people and I knew that I had something to do with those specific people. Like Mm -hmm. there was a, a feeling of joint mission and, uh, that it was just abundantly clear that I needed to contact them. And, uh, and these are people I hadn't contacted in a long time. So I sent emails to, to two of these people and um, both of them got back to me and were like, uh, we, we arranged a Skype chat and then we, we had like amazing discussion and we were like, oh, okay, so this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do this project. And it was just so clear. And wow. Yeah, th- that, was a, that was an awesome thing. And what was cool about those dreams is that like I usually forget my dreams but those would just stayed with me all day. Um, you know, I really, they were just so so clear. So I'm, I guess it was like a, um, the medicine was, was still in my system. There was, you know, something like that was going on. But uh, I really feel like there's a huge power in, in, in dream states. I've studied, I've studied it um, in terms of the, the anthropology. There's a tribe um, that were, I don't know how they're doing these days, but in the 70s they were, they were still rocking and thriving in Malaysia. And... They were known as like the dream people, and their reality uh, was very much their dream reality and their waking reality was all the same thing to them you know there was there was no different and the kids every single morning every all the village they only had like groups of twenty or thirty they 'd gather together kids grandparents gather together and share their dreams mm. yeah, and um, the little kids you know they were they were taught what uh, what the dreams meant like if somebody was chasing you in a dream, um, they were taught to turn around and confront the person um, rather than mm. rather than be chased. Yeah, and if there was like there's like some symbology like a tree would have a certain symbology. There'd be like uh, animals, special animals that would have a certain symbology, and they were taught about this sort of thing. And and it re- and it and in their waking life, the you know obviously it, it all played out. If someone dreamt about a mango tree. They'd be like, okay, cool, let's go find the mango tree. And the whole village would go off and go and find this tree. And sure enough, there it is. <laughs> you know?
0: That's awesome. I'm I, I think you're, I'm glad you bring this up because I'm about to take two months off and go to Bali and just kind of go inwards and go on my little um, sort of spirit quest, so to speak. And those are the kind of things that I do in my spirit quest. It's like let's expand into things that are a little bit weirder, that are a little bit outside the ordinary, but that I know could have a huge upside. Um so you just um mm. I pretty much just decided that oh let's let's add this to the list of
1: things I'm going to geek out on. <laughs> do it man, do it man. I'll send you a couple of links after this. Um a, a couple of things that I've been uh, reading about, bro. Um but just uh, just before we wrap up, um just it's it's a question that that I like to ask guests. Um and I'm really fascinated by your take on this. What are your we're obviously living in a very pivotal, interesting time in, in human history, like in human evolution, like on, on one side you've got uh, kind of a lot of doom and gloom and there's some, some, some shit that we need to fix. And on the other side, we've got uh, what gives me great hope. We have technology, we have people waking up, we have all sorts of amazing things going on. Um, so when you tune into this reality, what do you feel is the most impactful thing we can all do? Um, on an individual level to do our part to elevate humanity, I guess? Mm, yeah, beautiful
0: question. I've been reflecting on that recently because the, I had a little bit of guilt. There's all these things that I feel like I should help, but it was a, a should feeling, like, oh, I should have an impact on this. I should have an impact and I was like making myself feel bad because I wasn't doing anything about it. And I reframed that by being actually – what am I most inspired? What am I most excited to do right now? Like what is my soul asking me to go do? And so in this case, I'm going to go spend two months in Bali and like step away from the world. But I know that who I will be on the other side will be of of greater service to the world. And even on some level, just to work on my enlightenment by raising my own vibration, I'm, I'm affecting the collective consciousness. And that's a different conversation. But to keep it simple, I think whatever feels inspiring right now, go do that and that is your greatest work so mm. we don't need to be a martyr and to go do this thing oh I really don't want to do this but I know it's good for, for the world no no you should be excited and uh, mm. whatever that's like for you
1: love it man love it cool <laughs> we'll finish it on that note Phil and uh, thank you so much for, for dropping by and um, yeah maybe I'll catch up with you in Bali but for now <laughs> uh, we'll say goodbye buddy thanks a lot for coming on the show thank you so much thanks for listening guys cool man Well, I hope you enjoyed the show, guys. I think you'll agree with me that Phil's a pretty interesting and inspiring guy. Let's just review some of the key takeaways. So that, I really like that five times method he talked about. Uh, figuring out the five episodes in your life where you were most successful and the five times in your life you were least successful. What was going on behind the scenes? What were the trends that you can spot? Another thing I liked was him talking about the two types of happiness, hedonism and eudaimonia. And how achieving a balance uh, is so useful. I see a lot of people out there who... Are basically just single-mindedly unidimensionally uh, following the fulfillment path of happiness which is awesome, good on them but maybe they just need to go party um, and on the other hand if you're just partying and you're not doing anything fulfillment or uh, fulfillment based maybe that is a bit of a misbalance as well meditation is sexy guys, I hope you enjoy some of those reasons why meditation is so powerful, it's training for the mind it helps us become higher performing humans um, alright guys, well I hope you enjoyed that show, I'll leave you with one last quote from phil he said i start my day saying thank you thank you thank you what an epic day, way to start the day cool guys rate it and subscribe and share it with your friends do all these sorts of things that can help me as i try and build the audience for the flow state performance podcast um, really appreciate it if you jump onto itunes or to stitcher and basically leave a really nice review and leave an honest review if you if you think it's interesting stuff then then let me know cool guys until next time catch you later Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at
0: www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.